Hello, and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. Whether you are a member of our church family, either in person or online, or just checking us out for the first time, we believe that you belong here at New Hope Church, and we hope that this message speaks to you today. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv, and we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome everybody to New Hope Church, everybody at our 288 campus, our Friendswood campus, our Alvin campus, our Webster campus, and everybody that's joining us online as well. So thrilled that you're with us in church today. And I also have to give a shout out to everybody who participated in Fall Delight last night. Um, uh, as maybe it was talked about at your campus, uh, the rains came last night, big time. And, uh, and, 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 but our team, and by the way, I don't make these decisions, okay? People were coming up to me saying, thank you, thank you for all this. I'm like, I did nothing. I did zero, zero. I didn't even bring any candy. <laughs> um, and, and, but the deal is, our team of New Hope kids, staff members, and all the volunteers that participated from our Webster, Allen, Friendswood, 288 campus, all combining together, killed it last night because a half an hour before the thing took off, it was pouring down rain, like tropical kind of rain. And in a half an hour, they moved everything inside. And on the way here, Jane and I were driving. I said, they're, they're not even going to have this thing. It's going to be canceled. We get here, there's like, I'm going to estimate, there were like a million people here. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, all having a good time. And it was wonderful. So I just want to say, uh, and if you would join me in this, thank you, volunteers and New Hope Kids staff. Amazing job. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. So, uh, uh, and, and before I start preaching, have I told you lately that I love you? Appreciate you guys. There you go. Uh, last week, we began talking about living every day in the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you were with us last week, I think it was pretty special because Randy Frazee joined us, author, pastor Randy Frazee joined us and got us started in this series. The title of this series is the same name as his book, which is not a coincidence, uh, but it was so good. If you missed last week, um, I, would, I would urge you to go online and, and watch it, okay? And those of you who were here last week in church, would you agree with that? It's worth going and watching. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. And also, the, yeah, and also the book is fantastic. If you didn't get a copy of the book, I think we have the link still up on our website where you can get the book. <clears throat> Today, I want to begin with a, uh, with a story. Jim Lovell was one of the three astronauts on board Apollo 8, uh, the first manned mission to the moon. And when Lovell and his two other astronaut uh, companions entered orbit around the moon on Christmas Eve 1968, they uh, conducted a live TV broadcast showing pictures of the Earth and the moon as seen from the spacecraft. At that time, it was the most watched TV broadcast in all of history. TV sets around the world glowed with never-before-seen footage, video of the moon and the Earth. And as they were about to sign off on that Christmas Eve, they ended the broadcast by doing something that nowadays would be unheard of. They read from the Bible. They read from Genesis. And I just want to play for you that actual audio with, along with the video here, uh, recording. And, and uh, Jim Lovell, the guy that I'm talking about, will be the second voice that you hear. Watch this. Uh, now I'm 
now approaching uh, lunar sunrise. And uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the Earth. And the Earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. That it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. God said, let there be a ferment in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the ferment. And divided the waters which were under the ferment from the waters which were above the ferment. And it was so. And God called the ferment heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Pretty amazing, isn't it? How my how things have changed. But uh, that was Christmas Eve, 1968. What a beautiful Christmas gift these astronauts gave to the world. Now, fast forward to 1970. So that was 68. Now we're in 1970. Astronaut Jim Lovell, again, the second voice that you heard in that uh, broadcast, is back on board another Apollo mission. <clears throat> this time. He's with Apollo 13. He is uh, joined by astronauts uh, Fred Hayes and Jack Swigert, and a routine stir of an oxygen tank ignited a spark, uh, melted through the insulation on a wire, uh, crippling their system so much that, that they didn't have enough power needed to generate uh, the oxygen that they would need or to generate enough electrical power. And so <clears throat> the mission was aborted. And they moved aboard the lunar module. This is a, if you don't know this, if you're like young, uh, this is the lunar module. This is the, the rocket ship, okay? And they deployed this. This was for landing on the moon. Uh, it attaches here. You can't really see the space capsule right here. But uh, this, was, this was designed to land on the moon, but to conserve energy, they connected it to the capsule and used it as a lifeboat to try to get back to Earth. The problem was this, the lunar module was designed to support two men for two days. And now it needed to support three men for four days. But that wasn't the only problem. Back at Mission Control in Houston, they were coming up with a long list of catastrophic issues that might plague this uh, mission. The trajectory back to Earth may be off, the thrusters might be frozen, the guidance system could malfunction, the heat shield could be cracked, 
which was a, a, a big issue <clears throat> because if the heat shield on the, on the bottom of the capsule, you can't really see it right here, just this little pod right here, if it was cracked as they were coming back into the fiery reentry back into Earth's atmosphere, they would be burned up. The parachutes might be three blocks of ice and fail to open, and they might run out of oxygen before they make that 250,000-mile trip back to Earth. Other than that, things look pretty good. But uh, an hour before reentry, they took their seats in the, in the capsule over here. They left the module and into the capsule they went and prepared themselves to plunge into the fiery, fiery descent into Earth's atmosphere. They released the lunar module. In fact, check this out. This is the actual picture of that moment uh, back in 1970 when they released the lunar module. Seconds before they hit reentry, Jim Lovell, whose voice you heard a moment ago in that video and that audio, turned to the two other astronauts on board, and he said, gentlemen, it's been a privilege flying with you. Now, what's he saying? Everybody knows what he's saying. If you've, if you've seen the movie Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks, then you know what he was saying. He was saying, this might be it. This might, we've done all that we could do, but now it's out of our control. We're in God's hands now, and this might be the end. And when you think about it, this is the position that Jesus willingly put himself in. He willingly, he volunteered to enter Earth's atmosphere, to become human with a human body, breathing air, getting tired, getting hungry, being tempted. He was 100% God. He became 100% human as well. So he's 100% human, 100% God at the same time, or as Isaiah prophesied and John agreed in the book of John, he was Emmanuel, which means God with us. Last week we read from Philippians chapter 2 that says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Uh, another translation of this, the ESV of this verse says, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be, another translation says, something to be held on to. In fact, if you don't mind, all of our campuses, just take your hands and do this. Just do this. Okay, so, so he didn't consider something to be grass, but he, he emptied himself. Show me what you would do if you were going to empty yourself if you're doing this, right? Next verse. Rather, he made himself nothing. And if you are a Bible nerd, you know, and you like to do uh, in-depth studies and you have an online app that you use, <clears throat> I would uh, encourage you to go look at this verse in a whole bunch of different translations because a whole lot of them say, for this line right here, rather he made himself nothing, it says rather he emptied himself. So he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to or something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was God, now God in the flesh, yet he set aside those privileges that he had for us. He emptied himself. And you think about it, he had control. I mean, Jesus is creator of God. See Colossians chapter 1. He's creator of God. 
And yet for a little while, he emptied himself. He entered into our world so that he could identify with us, identify with our struggles, save us from our sins, and show us how to live in dependence upon the power of God and, and God's power, the Holy Spirit's power. And here's where we need to start if we want to get this right. We need to understand that ultimately, and I hope I don't break anybody's heart when I say this, ultimately, we don't have control because we're not God. Did that surprise anybody? You're not God. I'm not God. We don't, we don't have control. Years back, I read a pretty good article about sports fans, men who are sports fans. And in this article, it cracked me up. It said... <clears throat> They found that men believe that cheering for their team actually makes a difference in their team's performance. <laughs> and guys at all of our campuses right now are going, yeah, right? <laughs> What's the problem? Here's the deal. We believe, we men believe it makes a difference even when we're not at the stadium. Like if we were at the stadium and we were cheering, then maybe they could hear our voice and say, wow, the crowd is really firing me up. I need to try harder. But men believe that it works even when they're on their sofa eating a bag of chips. <laughs> Seriously, men believe that. And, 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 and uh, though it seems to be working for our cowboy fans this year, I... Um, <laughs> please contain yourself in God's house. Um, <clears throat> My own personal study of this uh, hypothesis with my Texans has left me only disillusioned, I will say that, and, and it feels like it keeps getting worse all the time. Uh, but I can remember one time, and this just shows you the, the male mind, I guess. I came home, uh, church is done, so I get home, the game's already on, I, I turn on the TV, and, and, and you know, they change jerseys, it seems like, on a regular basis now, so they can sell more jerseys in the fan shop, so I couldn't, for a moment, I couldn't figure out which team was which, and the other team actually looked like I was used to seeing the Texans, and so I, in my heart of hearts, I didn't say anything, but in my heart of hearts, I was hoping they would get the first down, and then they did. And then the announcer said, it's not the Texans, it was the other team. And I felt guilty. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I made that happen, I'm so... That, my friends, is an illusion of control. It's an illusion of control. Anybody been following the Astros? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. Um, the, the last series, and if you're, not, if you're not an Astros fan, that's okay. We love you. But it was like a roller coaster. Like win a game by, by 25 runs, lose a game by 40 runs. I mean, it was just like this, back and forth and back and forth. And, and if you're a fan and you're, you're holding on, you're like, oh. It's, it was like, I told someone, it's like being on a roller coaster and you can't get off. Okay. Um, and by, by the way, here's another, by the way, uh, the pitcher for the Red Sox, was it last night? Was it last night? Night before last? Okay. Night before last, um, Nathan Eovaldi is a part of our church family. I don't know if you know that. Grew up in Alvin, baptized at the Alvin campus. 
attended, he and Becca attended the Webster campus before they left town, but uh, uh, good folks. And, and uh, so I was a little torn when I was watching the game. I was like, I don't want, I don't want Nathan to get beat, but best case scenario would be that he pitches well, but then they decide to make a change and they, and then they put another pitcher in and then Astros unleash the bats. And if you watch the game, that's what happened. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. <clears throat> See, I do make a difference. But I'm just telling you right now, and by the way, Nathan, very proud of you. Great season if you're watching. Fantastic season. So, so if you're, if you're like even with a sports team, it's like, oh, you're trying to control it, trying to control it. It's exhausting. Well, that's how real life is, too. If you're trying to control the uncontrollable, it's exhausting. And a lot of people do it 24-7, and they're always worn out because they're trying and trying to, to play God. And you're not God. I'm not God. Jesus once upon a time said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I probably will come back to that verse next week because there's so much there that I want to unpack, but just let me say this for right now. The reason that so many of us are burdened and heavy laden is because we mistakenly believe that we're in control. And we try to take God's place. And we try to be the one that calls the shots. We act like, you know, we're in control of the events around us all of the time. And then, but Jesus, by his example, invites us to a better way, one where we empty ourselves of ourselves and we let God be God so that we can have the real power that we really need for real life and we can let loose of our fake illusion of control. In the Bible, <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but... It is said, and I say it is said because I've never checked, that there are 365 fear knots. The reason I haven't checked is because they come in different variations, like do not be afraid and fear not, and on and on and on. So there are a lot, let's just say that. And because there are a lot, some would say one for every single day of the year, it would seem to suggest that Fearing not, that not being afraid is not a one-and-done process. It's not something that we just do one time. It's something that we do daily. That we take our fear that things are not going to work. It's not going to work out. And every single day we give that to God. I'm thinking about King David. <clears throat> he did this a lot. Uh, Old Testament, King David, if you don't know, uh, as a 16-year-old boy, David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. He would be replacing King Saul, who had a bad habit of disobeying God. And as David is being anointed by the prophet Samuel, something happens that is worth noting today. This is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. So Samuel this is a prophet, Samuel, took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The Holy Spirit came upon David and gave him the power to do God's will. Now, as believers in Jesus, this is the Old Testament, as New Testament believers in Jesus, we have the promise 
that the Holy Spirit indwells us the moment that we trust in Jesus, and he remains with us the entirety of our earthly life. And if you don't believe me, go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and read there. But back in the Old Testament, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was oftentimes selective and temporary. In the very next chapter, chapter 17, um, uh, David, <clears throat> pardon me, gives an illustration uh, or example of the mighty strength of God on him. There is the Philistine army. They're about to wage war with the Israelite army, but they instead send their champion fighter down into the valley between the two armies. We're, I'm talking about the giant Goliath, and every day he would taunt the Israelite army. David who is a, like a 16-year-old boy at the time, shows up, sees the giant, takes his slingshot, goes down, and with one stone kills Goliath, okay? So that's the mighty strength of God on David, giving him the power to do what God needed done. Now, you would think that King Saul would be very happy that they had won the victory over the, their, their enemy, the Philistines. Saul was not happy. In fact, he was very jealous, very jealous of David, so much so that he tried to kill him. The chapter after that Goliath incident, King Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'm going to pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So David runs for his life. He's a fugitive for 14 years. He doesn't take the the throne for another 14 years. He's a fugitive all that time, and on one occasion during those 14 years, David encounters the king of the Philistines, which is the, the, the army that he beat their best guy, okay? So they take him into custody. They take him before the Philistine king. Talk about awkward. There's the, they recognize him. Here's the guy that killed our guy, our giant, our champion fighter. That's awkward, isn't it? Here he is, right in front of the king now. And not only that, to make it even more awkward, he has Goliath's sword with him. So the Bible says David was afraid, to which I would like to say, no kidding. I would be afraid too. So David may feel like Jim Lovell and his friends about to re-enter Earth's atmosphere. No control. I'm in a situation I've got. I've got no control over the situation. So what's David do? Well, on the outside, he acts like a madman. He acts like he's insane. The Bible says that he starts scratching at the doorway and that he lets spit run out of his mouth and down his beard. He's acting like he's insane. That's on the outside. But what's happening on the inside? On the inside, he's praying. Amazingly, we have his prayer in the Bible, Psalm chapter 56. And if you have a Bible that has headings for each chapter, <clears throat> it might be something like this. It's the one that I pulled up, Psalm 56, for the director of music to the tune of a dove on distant oaks. So it's a song, and that's to the tune of a, a dove on distant oaks, and we all know that tune. I'm kidding. We don't know. It's an ancient song. Of David, meaning David wrote it, a mictum, which is uh, probably a, a, a musical term, but we don't know exactly what it means. When the Philistines had seized David in Gath. So what comes next is his prayer. Obviously, he didn't write it down while he was being a madman or acting like a madman. He wrote it down later, but we have what was going through his mind and his heart. And I'm going to read you two verses, verses three and four. <clears throat> David says, when I'm afraid... I put my trust in you, in God, 
whose word I praise, in God I trust, I am not afraid, what can mere mortals do to me? So check this out. I am afraid, I am not afraid, I'm afraid, I'm not afraid. So what happens here? He takes his fear and he gives it to God and he exchanges his fear for trust in God. God who is bigger than his fears and he ends up by saying, what can mere mortals do to me? By the way, this isn't a one-time prayer. If you read through the book of Psalms, you're going to find that it was basically a daily discipline for David. Take the fear, take the, 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 the feeling of being out of control. Um, those things that are troubling you, you take them each day, those concerns, and you give them to God. You exchange those things for faith in God, and then God does what God always does, which is he provides, maybe not the way that we want to, wanting to sometimes, but God always provides. Now, I think about Jesus. I think about Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the mob is on their way to arrest him and to torture him and to crucify him. <clears throat> he, is, he has spoken about what's going to happen to him, to his disciples, so he knows at this point what's coming. He, uh, he's praying in the garden, and, and the Bible says that, and I don't know if I should say it this way or not, but I'm going to say it because it makes sense in my human mind. There was a lot of pressure on him, okay? So much so that the Bible says that he sweat as though great drops of blood. So he's sweating blood, so he's feeling the weight of the world on him, and he prays, Father, if it be your will, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Please take it away, Father. But then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. And then the mob arrives. Um, they grab a hold of Jesus. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, takes out a sword and swings at a guy, whacks off the guy's ear, and Jesus says, Peter, wait a minute. This is uh, Matthew 26. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus says, Peter, I got this. I could have thousands of angels here instantly, instantly if I just ask my father, but I am not asking. See what's happening? Jesus is willingly setting aside his resources so that he can do what he came to do, which is die for your sins and for mine so that we could have salvation. Jesus emptied himself, and he's trusting in his Father to carry him through. And listen to me, he's also giving us an example of how to do the same. Last week, Pastor Randy talked about uh, be, being betrayed <clears throat> and... Um, how being betrayed is like one of the deepest hurts that a person can experience in this life, which I did not know that, but as he was talking about it, I was curious how many of you can identify with that hurt? Anybody identify with the hurt of betrayal? I have my hand up too. I, I'm all too familiar with that pain, but Randy writes in the book, <clears throat> when the storm of betrayal ravaged my life, the waves crashed over and filled the boat with toxic water. I felt as if fear itself were coercing through my veins and my heart pounding out of my chest. Eventually, much of what had been my life capsized, and I was left holding on to little more than debris without a life preserver in sight. I had lost control and felt like I was drowning. Been there 
felt that. It is a out-of-control feeling, and it's a, it's a good place. It's a good place to be, because let me show you something. <clears throat> the reason I say it's a good place to be is because when we get in those moments where we can't power up in our powerlessness, and we can't bail the water out of our boat that's underwater, Hopefully what happens in those moments is it leads us to total dependence on God, on his help, his power, his presence that we might not have otherwise experienced if we remained under our illusion of control. So how do we take the step of turning over the control of our lives to God? Again, it's not a one-and-done deal. This is a daily surrendering to God. If you want to experience the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, then we must follow Jesus' leading. And the first thing that he did was he emptied himself. Now, since you and I are not God, we're not emptying ourselves of control. We are doing this. We are emptying ourselves of the illusion of control. Now, there are some things that we can control. I know this may be confusing because some of you are thinking, I do have control over some things. Yes, you do. And you should do those things to the best of your ability. For instance, we can get a good night's sleep. We can eat right. We can have a good attitude. We can get to work on time. We can work hard. We can exercise. We can help our team to win the game by cheering. Just kidding. But then there are things that, so so there are things that we can control. Pardon me. But there are things that also we cannot control. We can't control a global pandemic. None of us can. And if you can, then you need to come down to the front after church because I want to know what's up. All right? But we can't control a global pandemic. We can't control the weather. Just ask our New Hope Kids people from last night. You can't control the weather. You can't control world events. You can't control your boss. You can't control other people. So what do we do? We empty ourselves of trying to control those things. Jesus emptied himself, and he became fully dependent on his Father. And daily, you and I must do the same thing. Once upon a time, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you got to you got to deny yourself. you got to take up your cross, which means die to yourself, and then follow after me. So you let go of your thing, and you surrender to me. In his, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says basically that those who are the most blessed are those who are the most powerless, but they are depending on God for what they need. So empty yourself. And then, surrender to God's control. So whether you're in the middle of a storm right now or a very difficult time or you have a king that's trying to chase you down and kill you or maybe everything's going fine right now, I invite you to join me in turning over the illusion of control of your life to God and exchange your fear for faith. And here's a simple way to do it, and we've already kind of practiced it in this sermon already, but... If you want to just do this in your prayer time, it's just a good, I guess, illustration of what needs to be happening. But if you would, at all of our campuses, I want you to take your hands like this, and then I want you to make a fist. Okay, now, you're making a fist? Now squeeze, okay? You're squeezing? Now squeeze a little tighter, okay? So 
let this illustrate trying to control. Can you feel the burn? I can feel the burn in my forearms. About to get a cramp in my right hand. But the, this is the illusion of control. And let's just, let, let this illustrate the futility of trying to control the uncontrollable in your life. Here's what you do instead. Instead of doing this and trying to hold on to everything, do this. Okay, let your hands go. Doesn't that feel better already? If it feels this good in just your forearms and your hands, imagine how good it's going to feel in your life when you let go and let God the things that you cannot control, the things that are making you anxious, the things that are concerning you, the things that are troubling you, the things that are stressing you out, the things that you can't do anything about, give them to God. You don't need to be exhausted anymore. And you don't have to be. You can have the mighty strength of God in your life. So I feel like I started the story and didn't finish it, so now I want to finish it. <clears throat> How did things turn out for Jim Level and the crew of Apollo 13? Well, if you have not seen the movie with Tom Hanks, and by the way, Tom Hanks played Jim Level in the movie, uh, let me tell you how it worked out. Uh, with the help of the lunar module, they made the 250,000-mile trip from the moon back to the edge of Earth's orbit. But then came the most dangerous part of their journey, entering into Earth's atmosphere. It would be a a fiery, fiery descent to the waters of the ocean. <clears throat> now, every time a crew had made re-entry before this, there was a total blackout of communications for three minutes, three minutes of absolute silence as they went through that, those fiery moments. No entry had gone past four minutes. So the world watched and waited as the crew plunged into their fiery re-entry, and for three minutes, their fate was unknown. Did the, did the damaged heat shields hold? Did it keep the guys from burning up? Three minutes seemed to take forever. Those three minutes passed with no word. Those three minutes turned to four minutes, and then five minutes, and then six minutes. And the world watched live as people everywhere began to lose hope, tears were shed. And by the way, I've included, if you want to watch it, it's pretty cool, uh, the Apollo 13 movie. I've included it on the listening guide. In fact, the first video that we showed today and the video that I'm talking about right now from the movie is on the listening guide if you want to click on it and watch it. I wanted to show it in the service, but there were copyright restrictions and the guys that were working with me don't want to go to jail. Six minutes goes by. People were basically giving up at that point, giving up hope. And then crackling through the mission control communications in Houston came the voice of Jim Lovell who said, Houston, it's good to see you again. That was April 17th, 1970. And not only did Jim Lovell live to talk about it, he's still living. He's 93 years old now. Isn't that crazy? So, how will things turn out for you? Will you live to be 93 or 103 or 83? Who knows? Uh, God is writing a different story for every single one of us. 
But I do know this, if we want to live in his power, we have to empty ourselves of the illusion of control and we have to surrender to God's control. Surrender your life, your issues, your good, your bad, your weaknesses, your strengths, your sin, your everything. Surrender it to God. Trust him and experience the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I don't know how long you'll live. I don't know how long I'll live, but that's really not the question. The question is not how many years will we live. The question is, in the years that God gives us, will we live in his mighty strength? That's the question. And you can live right there. You can if you follow Jesus in this process. I want you to stand with me, please. Okay, so if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior and you would like to accept him today and make that decision, there will be prayer partners down at the front of the room. Or if you need prayer for anything, come on down before you leave, all right? Let's bow. God in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you're always there for us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. I thank you for your power that you want to make available to us. I, Lord, for those who are hanging on tight today and are worn out and are trying to control the uncontrollable, Lord, I pray that today the, the words from your word, Lord, from your scriptures would just flow into their lives, that they would accept your invitation, Lord to live a, a less burdened life, one that is more in dependence on you. I pray that we all could experience your mighty strength. Guide us, guard us, watch over us, bring us back again. I pray this all in your son's name and all the people said. Amen. God bless, guys. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe. Share it with friends and family or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.